why don't we come on back in and grab a seat? I'm not ready yet, so go ahead and talk a little while longer. (laughs) Now, 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 that was great, wasn't it? Isn't it liberating not have to do everything right all the time and look like an idiot and not care? So welcome to my world. I'm not an idiot, but sometimes I hide my high-level intelligence very well. Let me ask this. How many of you were not here last week to see the Big Give video? You want to watch that again? First of all, we raised $30,000 last weekend. And uh, we have $100,000 worth of improvements we'd like to do. So it's sort of good news, bad news. No, there's no bad news, really. I mean, we'd like to fix the parking lot. We'd like to uh, just, you know, do all kind of things. But we actually, in addition to that, we have the fence and a potential playground for the kids already paid for in addition to what came in. So you guys are so generous. I'm just so grateful to to be a part of a crowd that wants to be generous like that. So congratulate yourself. And um, I'll make a couple of announcements and we'll show this. Um, One thing uh, I want to um, ask this. In building the fence next week, is anyone here that needs work and wants to work for 10 bucks an hour for three or four days? Come and see me. It's not, it's not hard labor. Um, but anyway, we need some help. Danny Segrist is building this fence and he needs, uh, someone to help him do that. So just come see me, let me know. And, uh, I'll give you, give you the details. So why don't we do this? Why don't we go ahead and reshow this video? I uh, I came up with a great message for this week, and uh, but I forgot what it was. No, no. Actually, this morning about five or five thirty, the Lord just changed it all, and um, I believe it's because it's particularly for someone or someone's who are here this morning. So. Um, I love the Lord. He, I, I just love that when He does things like that. He's, He's been such a great help in so many ways over the years. It makes me. This is the time of year I think about how mistreated Jesus was. Did you ever do that? I've got a little Roman Catholic sort of thing going on in me sometime. What I mean by that is they, they, there's, there's great stuff and not so great stuff in every branch of, of the church. Everybody okay with that? But, one of the things they do, they took to heart the sufferings of Jesus. And um, 
I've actually had one of the most profound encounters in my life considering how Jesus was mistreated and beaten. And um, now why is that important? Because he's, he's, he's my Lord, yeah, but he's more, he's a friend. And you're concerned about how your friends are treated, right? And um, so it's amazing when you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that what I'm talking about right now is actually an option to consider what actually happened to him uh, so that we could go to heaven. Never mind going to heaven when we die so that we could access the heavens while we're alive and lay hold of health and healing and prosperity and benefit and blessing and wisdom and revelation and all the things God wants us to have. But that was not my message. Um, let me see if there's everything I've got. I'm just trying to take care of business here. Let's um, let's take a look at this verse. Why don't Why don't you guys stand up and uh, let's do this out loud? Now I know there's some new people here. Our definition of out loud means words come out of your mouth. That's our current, until the federal government changes the definition of the word out loud, we'll continue with the one that we've had since the crack of dawn. So, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Is that powerful? No, 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 let's savor. Let's savor. You don't want to eat your Big Mac in two bites this morning now. You need the full impact. Now, don't you, I'm going to say this, but don't you, don't you repeat it. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Okay, verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that one phrase there, forgetting those things which are behind, let's say that together, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, and reaching forward. Uh, you may be seated. I learned, uh, I learned 30 years ago in, in, a, in a church relational situation not to leave something but to go to something. Not to leave something but to go to something. And what's the difference? You leave out of reaction, you go out of vision. And so it looks the same on the outside, but it's different on the inside. Does that make sense? And so I think there are a lot of people who fight with their past. They're not reconciled to what's gone on in the past. They're judging who they've been instead of who they can become. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, it really, it's a privilege it's so hard to keep your focus right in life. But what I was thinking this morning, it's a privilege to be able to sit here on Sunday mornings and talk to people and tell them things that I think are important. 
And one of, one of the problems everybody has in life is that we suffer. How many of you have gotten the suffer note, the memo? If you're going to be alive, it's going to hurt sometimes. Well, that's true. That's the way that works. But here's the marvelous thing. Since you can't really change that, you can do this. You can take what happens to you and try to use it to help somebody else. That's a privilege. And that's a redemptive way to look at your life. Or you can think about the bad hand you were dealt and how nobody likes you and all of the negative, self-centered, hostile, crazy, poor me stuff. you got to get out of that. That never gets better, ladies and gentlemen. And if you go there, you will be alone. Nobody will go with you ultimately. Amen would be a proper response. Cardinals are territorial, and that, that, um, they're possessive. And, and you can become this kind of person where for you to succeed, you feel like somebody else has to fail. Pastors. Pastors forget there are a million sinners in Mecklenburg County. They're fighting over the same couple hundred, you know what I'm saying? Oh, they might leave. Well, okay, let them go. I don't want to talk to anybody that doesn't want to listen anyway, frankly. Can I say that? It's too late. In essence, I don't care if you come to church here if you don't want to come. Please don't come here because you hate us. (laughs) But what I mean is, that's not me being hostile or, or crazy. It's me saying, if you don't want to be here, you won't get what you come for. It's like in your offerings. If you, if you give your offerings out of compulsion or fear or threat instead of out of joy and generosity, Here's the problem. You lost your money and you didn't get a benefit. Amen number two. Great opportunity there. Listen, I can't do both sides of this. (laughs) But I will if I have to. Amen. That was good. Way to go, Robin. That was remarkable. Okay, now. Somebody else doesn't have to fail so that you can succeed, which means that territorial spirit means you start rejoicing in everybody else's benefits and favor and successes. See, that's the kind of crowd I want here, people that are happy somebody else got better off than you did. Because here's the secret. When you rejoice in another person's benefit, you have opened the door to that very same benefit. But if you're jealous and critical and hostile, you cut yourself off to that future. This is crazy. When, When we were on this other building in Presley Road, I don't know, 20 years ago, a guy came into my office. I was a pastor. A guy came into my office and he said to me, I have something I'd like to give you. And I said, well, Fine. I thought it was like a Christian t-shirt or something. I had a very low view of 
what somebody wanted to go give me. I mean, I did that, this crazy thing. I thought, oh, it's probably, you know, it was the summertime. It's probably some Jesus is awesome t-shirt or something. It's going to be too small and I'll smile and take it and act appreciative. (laughs) He gives me two boxes of silver and gold. It helped me educate my children. I couldn't send my kids to college. A couple of them didn't want to go. I was happy. <laughs> I'm, come on. I'm, <laughs> I have to behave. Well, a friend of mine heard about it, and he said, hey, let's do this. Let's praise the Lord together about your blessing. And I said, He said, because I know when you rejoice over someone else's benefit, lots of times the benefit multiplies to other people. And so we were praising, I was praising the Lord, I had the boxes. He was praising the Lord because he saw the potential of getting bought. I don't know. But we rejoiced and this same guy gave him the same blessing and there was no communication about it. It was God. See, we forget God. God is available. I remember Donna and I needed money for those kids' education, and we didn't have it, but we had some equity in our house. So I said, baby, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take $1,000 equity out of our house and go give it away to somebody the Lord shows me to give it away to. Now, the offering's already been received today, ladies and gentlemen, so depucker, please. So, <laughs> that was really funny. Come on. I am so sorry. So I wrote this check and gave it to a missionary named Bob Weiner. And Bob Weiner rejoiced and went to bed that night. In the middle of the night, the Lord said, Bob, write Robin a check for $2,000 and tell him his seed for the sower. That meant give it away. I says, wait a minute, I'm... I got two for one already here. <laughs> but I thought, oh, what the heck? Let's give this a shot. So Donna and I together decided we should give that $2,000 away. Nobody knew we were doing this. Nobody knew. Under radar. And this all happened in, in, in about a week. A fella came up to me and he said, who knew nothing of what I had done, who knew nothing of what Bob had done, he said, I had a dream about you the other night. And the Lord showed me to write you a check for $10,000, so here it is. He hands me a $10,000 check. Why? God. You're thinking, that's 10 to 1. Yeah, but you got to go give that thing away, man. That's... <laughs> And it may not happen for you the way it happened for me. Cast your bread upon the waters, may return unto you in many days. Say in many days. And the Lord says to him, a day is as a thousand years. You might get that back in the millennium. I don't know. And if it always worked the way we want it to work, who would not do it all the time? Nevertheless, God did that. God did that. He saw that. He, he saw my heart, my attitude, my offering, Bob's, and he responded. Nobody 
It, I didn't set it up. I didn't tell the world, hey, praise God, I'm trusting God. Here's how I'm trusting him, everybody. I'm giving away money because I'm broke. I.e., I'm not broke, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not saying that for now, but you know what I'm saying? No, 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 we forget. God, say together, God, there is a God. And he takes good records. So, don't be territorial. There's plenty out there for everybody. Look at somebody and say, there's plenty out there for everybody. There is. There really is. Um, cardinals are territorial. Here's another thing I thought. It's the I'm the main person syndrome in ministry. Um, I may be the pastor, but I'm, I'm not the focus. Do you know what I'm saying? The, you, you somehow need to be in an atmosphere where you can grow and develop and become who you are and be appreciated in the process. Now, it's hard to, you know, I walk around and hug people. Guess what? If you never got one, don't be mad at me about it. I can't do it to everybody all the time. I'm just who I am. But you know what I'm saying? You can't live with your feelings on your sleeve because you're going to get your feelings hurt. But God wants you to become everything he's called you to be. He wants to promote you. He, he wants your life to be continually more and more better and prosperous. Now, I know people say, well, you're a, you're a prosperity preacher. I have never met anyone whose desire was to be worse off, sicker, more broke, more angry, more bitter today than they were yesterday. I've never met anybody. What do you mean I'm a pro? Who is not? Who does not want to do well? If you don't want to do well, you've got like a psychoanalyst in your future. Come on. Of course I'm a prosperity preacher. What? What? Yes. You know, Jesus, was he poor? It didn't seem to matter. He could get whatever he wanted. He had access to a realm that never ran out. Honestly, there is a portion and a place where not being fruitful is an indictment against the Lord. He is not a tightwad. He's not mean, he's not angry, he's good, he's kind, he's generous. But what we think about him up here affects his, affects our ability to receive from him the things he wants us to have that are freely and readily available. I'm serious. It matters what you think about God, and it matters what you say about the Lord, and it matters how much you agree with the reality of the Scripture. It does. And if you're in a church, for goodness sake, pay attention. Ah, come on, that was good. Now, driving from the rearview mirror speaks to me. When you're looking in that rearview mirror, if you're living from the rearview mirror, you're basically living from the past. It would be very dangerous to drive your car while looking in the rearview mirror most of the time. 
You could run off the road. You could run over somebody. But what it speaks of is living in the past. Many saints have been captivated by great disappointments, by unforgiveness. I think um, actually Mitch mentioned it this morning. People have allowed themselves to be defined by their past experiences and relationships. You can't do that. You are not who you were. You are becoming. You know, Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, become as. What does that mean? We're all in the state of becoming something. We're not in the state of remaining something. We're all in the state of becoming, and it's either becoming something better or greater or sweeter or something worse. But we can allow only one person to identify us, tell us who we are, and his name is Jesus. Not our past. I have people who still think I'm an idiot from something I did in 1973. And whenever I see them, they want to remind me of what I did in 1973. I'm not joking. It's the first thing they say. And I want to say, yes, well, let's compare lives. I'm way ahead of you. You're still talking about me in 1973. But I'm kicking butt and taking names in 2016. And I don't have a bad attitude about it. Come on. (laughs) I keep saying stuff I try to get out of. Did you notice that? My wife has got the, she's got that smile on her face, but it's straight. (laughs) It doesn't turn up at the corners. I have seen that before. You can't go forward looking backward. Let's say that together. You can't go forward looking backward. Here's a great verse. But Jesus said to him, say this with me, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, no one. How many? No one. Having done what? Having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit. Now, the problem with the Bible is you interpret it based on what kind of person you think Jesus is. If you think Jesus is a strict, mean person, then you think that's a strict, mean thing to say to somebody. You did not fit. No, no, no. What, what he's saying is if you're going to plow a field and you plow looking backward, you're going to have a field that's not fit to plant and grow and harvest because the rows are going to be crazy crooked. You can't, you can't get fruit out of it. It won't be fit. And so that's what Jesus is saying. To, to, to be successful in the kingdom, we have to have a vision of moving forward. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. It doesn't mean you're, not, you're permanently unfit. It just means you will never succeed in the kingdom of God unless you have a forward vision, unless you know how to successfully deal with your past. 
unless you realize you can't be introspective all the time. You can't be what we used to call a navel gazer. You can't identify yourself based on what everybody else seems to think about you. You need to be a person who is at peace with where you've come from, at peace with what's going on in your life, at peace with people back there to the best of your ability. Now, you can't make them be at peace with you, but that's their jobs. I'm amazed at how many people have arguments with people that don't aren't even around them. How many of you argue with people in your mind? Come on, raise your hand if you've ever had look around, look around the room at how crazy you are. Raise those hands and keep them up. Look around. How many of you would like to know how to stop doing that? I would like to see a show of hands for those who would like to Okay, here's, here's how to quit doing it. They're not there. <laughs> right? They are not in bed with you or in the shower or brushing their teeth, which is when they show up in my life. You know what I'm saying? They are not there. That is profound. What it means is, stop. Who are you talking to? And if they were there and they're not, they wouldn't care. They don't care about you. They don't care that you're upset with them. They're off by themselves talking to somebody else. (laughs) Who's not there? Say it with me. They aren't there. So stop. I I had that going on this morning. And I was imagining a person saying something that they didn't like. And I was giving arguments about why I either didn't care or I shouldn't care or they shouldn't care. And it's like the Lord was saying, who are you talking to? And so I quit. You know why? They weren't there. And the problem is we blame them for the argument. They're not there. It's you. Say it's me. It's me. My problem is me. I thought it was you. I wish it were you. Because then it would be your responsibility. You're not repeating all this. Because then it would be your responsibility. However, it's me. And I'm here. There's a big difference in here and there. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back. That's a great verse. Thank you, Jesus. We need vision for life. The field wouldn't be fit for sowing. You can't move forward looking backward. Best way to plow a straight row is vision. You set your sight on something ahead of you and you plow to it. That's an old farmer's trick. That's the way it works. Now, Paul the Apostle persecuted the church. Galatians 1.23. Can you imagine Paul's life? He spent I don't know how many years imprisoning or perhaps even murdering Christians. And then he became one. Everybody was conflicted. Everybody was conflicted about that but Jesus. Jesus thought it was a good idea. Paul couldn't figure out what happened to him. Everybody else thought, I'm scared. I'm not having anything to do with him. He could be faking. 
But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. Here's what Paul wrote from prison, though. And it's these things we have to live out that have the most power. You've probably heard this somewhere before. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul had lived that life. He was in prison thinking about what was important to him. And that was what he wrote. He wrote that in a Philippian jail. What was Paul's secret? He had a bad memory. He was forgetful. How many of you know people that have selective memories? They forgot that money they owe you. Well, you need to have a selective memory. You need to forget those people that offended you. You need to forget those people that you didn't, you thought didn't do the thing they should have done for you. That's holding you back. It's not holding them back. It's holding you back. One guy said unforgiveness or resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other guy to die. It doesn't work that way. You die. You can't afford it. You can't afford to hate anybody. You can't afford, you know, the thing that scared me so much about the political season was how many good, godly people were getting um, slimed through Facebook and all the craziness that was going on and feeling justified and being mean and angry. You, you, you sacrifice your future. Do you understand that? You can't be angry and mad with people and say awful things about them and be negative and critical and then be happy later. It does not work that way. You, you sacrifice. And the problem is you can feel this self-righteous thing just giving you some energy which later turns around and chews you up and eats you. You can't afford. You can't afford that. You need to do everything in your power to be happy and love everybody. Everything in your power. Well, one of the things I noticed about the cardinal... If you look at the cardinal, let's go back. He's got that black mask. You know, you know, the prototypical picture of a burglar. They'll have a little black mask that, I mean, if you can't really still tell who that guy is, there's something wrong with you. But anyway, they still do that. He came to steal my song. See, my, I never, never is not true. For a while, I did not like the fact that I had a girl's name. That's the way I thought about it. Robin. To me, that was a girl's name. I thought, what was my mother? Did my mother wish I was a girl? I was born? What's, what's up? Well, there were Roberts and Bobs by the droves in our family, so she, she called me Robin. But what I've learned over the years is I am a Robin, not just by name, but by function. I have learned if people will listen to me, springtime is right around the corner that you don't have to live in a perpetual winter you don't you don't have to blame the world for the way you feel you need to take responsibility for the way you feel that doesn't mean horrible things haven't happened to you but what are you going to do if horrible things have happened to you 
What then? You got to meet God at a new level. That cardinal was telling me, he's come to steal my song. Well, I decided I wouldn't give it to him. The Lord showed me this song out of the Song of Solomon. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room, everyone in this room has potential for entering into a new springtime. Do you understand that? And it's not up to God. He's done it, really. He has. Now, he can rearrange some things and make it make more sense. But I'm, I'm serious. Everything that needs to happen for you has happened for you. It's a matter of your adjustments, your attitude, your thought processes, your refusal to blame the world on who you are and what you are and how you think. Nobody can tell you how to think. That's up to you. Bill Johnson says he can't afford to have a thought in his head about himself that God doesn't have. We, we can't afford to entertain negativity, criticism, hostility. We can't afford it. What kind of lives would we live if we could get a hold of this? What kind of lives would we live? How much good could we do for other people if we were on top of this whole issue about who we are and why we are the way we are? Really, the sky would be the limit. There's one other little story I like to read that, that has a phrase in it that I think is really helpful. And then we'll, uh, we'll try to close it down with this. In 2 Kings 4, it says a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Then he said to her, tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Elisha said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it in to all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And she, he said to her, there is not another one. So the oil ceased. That's amazing. Heaven's capacity is established by our faith level. If they'd had more vessels, if they'd had more pots, more pans, more jars, they'd still be pouring today. Then she came and told the man of God and said, and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. And there's really probably two or three really juicy messages in that second Kings portion. But here's the thing he said to do. She says, I have this problem. And what is it? They're going to take my children away from me because we're in debt. 
Will you help me? And he, and Elisha, and this this is this is what spiritual people are supposed to do. They're supposed to help you see what you already have in your life that's of a value that you can turn into a prosperous, successful future because you already have what you need. You just haven't located it yet. You're asking for something you already have. And and the prophet said this thing. He said, go to all of your neighbors, all of those offensive people. Yes, that woman next door whose dog bit your son in 1928. Go over there and get every empty pot they'll let you have. And here's what I want you to do. Take that little nothing, look, take that little thing you call nothing. Say you call nothing. You call nothing. You and your sons get in that room and do what? Shut the door behind you. You have got to shut the door behind you to position and posture yourself for an outpouring and a future. And the only thing in that room from behind you are your children and somebody else's pot. What is that? Here's what it is. Anything anybody ever did to you that hurt you or wounded you gave you a capacity for the opposite to be filled up in your life by the power of the Holy Ghost. The degree of your ability to succeed and excel in love can often be identified by how awful things have happened to you. All you should ever take from any of your old past relationships is a capacity to succeed. A way you look at... What really happened? You have to posture yourself with all those events in your past so that the only possible outcome will be it's a place for God to fill so that you can take what you have back out in the world and help somebody with it. Does that make sense? You've got to shut the door. Behind you, I do have. I, I won't. Can I have three more minutes? Is that okay? I've got one more thing that's so so powerful. I've been reading this thing called the Jesus Prayer, and it's it's a simple prayer. It's Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's a very simple prayer, and you can see five times in the New Testament where people would essentially cry out, "Have mercy on me," and Jesus would meet them. It's amazing. So I've been studying this, and one of the things an author, author of this little book talks about is what happened in John 20, verse 19 through 21. It's when Jesus appeared. They thought he was dead. He appears. So I'll read this. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace 
be with you. They were locking the doors. They hadn't seen Jesus since he was crucified. They were afraid of their enemies. They were left with how they had first forsaken him. They'd run. They'd done everything wrong. And now they were being pursued by the enemies of Jesus. So Jesus shows up in the room. And he says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then listen, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, so Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So the guy wrote this. I often think of the moment when he appeared in the upper room to the astonished disciples, huddled together in despair. The doors locked for fear. Listen to this. Nothing in the past, nothing where? Nothing in the past but the knowledge of their own failure. Nothing in the future but the loss of him. Like waking from a dream into a deserted world. That's what they felt like after the crucifixion of Jesus. There's nobody in the world that could have felt any worse than they did, hardly. Suddenly, he's with them, and his first words were not, where were you when I needed you? You've let me down. No, his first words are shalom, peace, that peace which enfolds heaven and earth and brings everything and everyone back into the rightful place. He said, peace be with you. Even even when he talked to Peter in John 21, I think it is, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And it's equal to Peter having denied the Lord three times. Even before he asked him that, he fed him a good meal. I mean, even when he brought up to him his past, but he only brought up his past so he could shut the door on it. Not to remind him he was a failure, but so he could shut that door. Then he shows him his hands and his side. They can recognize that it's he, it's Jesus, and that the wounds are healed and he has passed through death itself. His love is final and after all, that's when the disciples rejoiced when they saw him. I don't care who you are and what you've done. The first thing that ever comes out of Jesus' mouth is not about that. Because that doesn't help. It only helps if you can shut the door on it. Here's what helps. Jesus really loves you. I mean, in this season, my goodness, Passover, Easter, resurrection, whatever you want to call it, in this season, the sufferings of Jesus were real. I've spent some time with a college professor I've met. He's retired, and I saw him the other day and said, how you doing? Now, he's not really, he may be a believer, but he's not on fire. You know, I don't know what he is, but he's a great guy, and I like him. So he said, how are you doing today? And I said, well, you know what? I found out I'm God's favorite person. And he howled. He said, you're the craziest person I ever met in my life. And I said, well, here's the problem. 
Every one of God's children are his own personal favorite. But so few people believe it. And that's where life changes. Life doesn't change when Jesus loves you. He's been doing that. Life changes when you believe it. Life changes when you know it. Life changes when you get the message. Life changes when you know he loves you warts and all, past, present, future, whatever. And that's a good word. That's a good word. Okay. Amen? Amen. Yes, let's clap and make me feel good. <laughs> we, do, we do have ministry teams today. If anyone would like prayer, um, please come forward right over in this part of the auditorium here, and we will have some people with you shortly to pray for you and help you. Okay?